Where have you experienced renewal lately? Maybe you've been able to return to a more regular routine now that school has started again. Or maybe you started a new fitness program and have found new joy in moving your body. Maybe you read a book or an article that has given you a new perspective on how to spend your time, energy, and attention. Whatever it is, I imagine that it has brought a new sense of satisfaction and flourishing to your life. At least I hope that it has. This striving for newness, in whatever form it takes, is a hallmark of discipleship and a life of faith. Because God is always up to something new. At our baptisms is where this all began. We were delivered from sin and death and raised to new life in Christ. And we were united with all the baptized into one body of Christ, anointed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and joined in God's mission for the life of the world. And so, as we think about renewal today, and we think about how we have been given this new life in Christ, how can we live like that's true? How can we reflect that in the rest of our lives? Our parable for today is an example of what happens when we forget what it means to live in a way that reflects this new life that God has given us. Jesus is still speaking with the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, and also the community leaders. He's continuing a conversation that began last week when they ask, by whose authority is he teaching? Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 45, tells the parable this way. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, the landowner sent other slaves more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, the landowner sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Those listening said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to the other, to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. There's a lot to unpack in this parable, 
But the main focus is to clarify who Jesus is for those who listen, including you and me. Commentator Ira Brent Diggers helps us with this task. He writes that Jesus is the son who comes to reclaim what rightfully belongs to the father. He is the son whose mission is violently rejected by the father's own tenants. He is the son whose rejection is vindicated by the father. And he is the son whose vindication prompts the final judgment of the unfaithful tenants. In coming to reclaim what rightly belongs to the father, the son sets out to restore the world to its divinely created order. All we have to do is look to Jesus' ministry to see what this looks like. The sick are made well, sinners are restored, and God is praised. Jesus brings wholeness to a broken world, providing glimpses into the kingdom of heaven. Shalom, what God's creation is supposed to look like. But the restoration of God's creation meets opposition from those with a vested interest in the brokenness of the world. The tenants enter. It's easy to see that they recognize Je- they represent, excuse me, Jesus' own opponents. In fact, by the end, the religious leaders understand that Jesus is talking about them. These very ones who are asking about Jesus' authority will soon seek his destruction. But underneath that is this tacit acknowledgement that those leaders have been appointed by God. Just as the tenants in the parable are hired by the landowner to protect and maintain the vineyard, which makes the failure in both the parable and in the leadership so heartbreaking. And Jesus' judgment here is not so much against Israel or even against the temple as an institution, right? There are ways we can read this story that says, um, that pits Jews and Christian against one another. And that's not what Jesus is getting at here. The arguments between Jesus and the religious leadership of this time were most often not about religious practices, but about the temple leaders' collusion with exploitative economic and social policies of the Roman Empire, and later over different ways of negotiating life under that empire in the church and the synagogue from which it was called out. Perhaps we can see echoes of that in our own world today, not just in church leadership, but in community and national leadership as well. It's easy to disparage the tenants and Jesus' opponents, but when we step back from the gospel and examine ourselves and others in positions of power and leadership, we will inevitably find glimpses of the rebellious and self-serving tenants. We like the status quo. We like to be in power, and we like to maintain and stay invested in the structures that have served and benefited us even if they have done so to the detriment of others. Systems like white supremacy, the patriarchy, and heteronormativity. But it doesn't have to be like that. We have been called out of the culture of the empire. 
And because we have been united with all the baptized into a new community, into the body of Christ, we have been made new so that we might work toward the dismantling of those systems that oppose wholeness for all creation. And that is incredibly good news. So what do we do when we live in a system full of oppression, of chaos, of disunity? How do we live into this new life, reflecting what is true about God and the newness that comes from Christ and our baptisms? First, we can repent. We can turn to God and confess our sins of racism, sexism, homophobia, and the mismanagement of God's creation in all its forms. We can do this trusting that we will be met with compassion and grace by the one who created us and all people and all the earth. Then we can recommit to care for others and the world God made, to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. This week, I'd like you to take some time for confession and forgiveness. If you have a hymnal at home, you can find two prayers of confession on page 95 in the very front of the hymn book. Or if you'd rather have some conversation, you can make an appointment with me for a time of individual confession and forgiveness via phone or in person. Then after you've spent some time in confession and forgiveness, I invite you to seek out the perspective of someone different from you. You could read a book or an article or watch a YouTube video. And the creator could be black, indigenous, or a person of color. They could be a member of the LGBTQIA community. They could be from a different political affiliation or faith tradition. Then listen to what they have to teach you and me and all of us. Listen to learn, not to argue or to respond. Discover what they have to teach you. And then I would love for you to teach me. I would love to hear what you learned. Send me a text or an email with your insights. I'll put my email in the comments of the YouTube video. Why do we do this? To build our muscles of humility and empathy. When we can see someone else as a child of God first, then we are better able to keep those promises of baptism and work together to tend the vineyard that has been entrusted to us. Jesus is found in the tension between overflowing grace and inaccurate expectations and assumptions. So let's be brave enough to stand in those places with Jesus and with one another to proclaim the good news of grace, forgiveness, and new life here and now. Amen.